Did you watch the Super Bowl yesterday? I did. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, I mean, it was a bummer of an ending. If you like the Niners, and but that's you know, it was a good, it was a good football game. But I'm from Kansas City, so why would I be bummed? <laughs> you could be. I'm happy for. I'm happy you're happy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, the best team won, right? So that's how it works. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna so tell the, you though. You go ahead. What are you gonna say? Well, I I really like the the way the Niners play offense a lot. It's a lot of fun. They're a lot. They're a lot of fun to watch. Losing, you you like? No, just the the style of play. You know, they the trick plays, the flea flickers, all that stuff. That I, stuff I like doesn't that. win Super Bowls. No, not this year. Yeah, not this year. Not this year. Um, although sure. I, I did not know the story of Purdy. Oh yeah, that, that's that's a lot of fun. No, that story is fantastic. That story was with Purdy. I that's impressive. And then I was right. so okay. Let me start from the beginning. I don't have. A, I didn't have a team that I was rooting for. I wanted to see the Detroit Lions and I wanted to see Baltimore in the Super Bowl. That was my. Okay. That's what I wanted. I thought that would have been that. That would have been like cars versus steel. But <laughs> historically speaking, you know the things that made the cities once great. Yeah, that's right. No, that's right. No, you're right. And 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 still, they're not making a comeback. <laughs> not only no, in a Super Bowl, but just period. Um, still, kind of. Said we got Gold Rush banking versus what? what made Kansas city great. It was, it, it was the, uh, when it was founded, it was the entryway to the, uh, Missouri river. Is that right? Well, you had a, yeah, you had Wyatt Earp and all those guys too. In Kansas. Kansas oh city. yeah. So. That's true. Yeah. It's probably cattle and. Yeah. With the 49ers is hard to say because now you have, uh, what's that big tech kind of, all yeah, now it's big tech, but it was founded on uh, it was founded on gold rush, yeah. uh, banking. The hunt, yeah. Was, he, that Jason uh, Jason Whitlock's piece talks about that a little bit. On um, you ever read his piece on the Forty Niners and how? Oh, I can't recommend that enough. He basically tells you how we get such a gay San Francisco. Oh yeah, well, so we we were when we were in Santa Cruz, we uh, the the one of the places that I surfed and that, that had a pizza place that I took my family to a lot was called Pleasure Point because there were three whorehouses there for the 49er crews to come down. That's right. They would drop the family off in Santa Cruz and then they would come down to Capitola. The all the all the quote unquote men without their wives would come down and and uh, to the whorehouses and it's no yeah so it's no wonder you ended up being so gay. With, yeah. Well. Um, but my favorite thing was there was a church there called Pleasure Point Community Church, and I met the pastor, and he didn't know where the term Pleasure Point came from. And I was like, "That's great, you know you got you got, you said you guys have replaced the whorehouses. You're out there right out you're out right where there used to be whorehouses. Now there's a church. That's fantastic. It's kind of all just come up the open now. There's no doors where that stuff hides behind anymore, right? That's unfortunate, <laughs> but yeah. Um, <coughs> So, okay, I, I got to start in the most obvious thing, Usher, halftime show. 
It was fantastic. Um, I really liked it. I I gave it two thumbs up. It's been yeah. It was a good halftime show. It was. I think, but I I was trying to figure out who the rapper was in that ridiculous helmet. Oh yeah, I think that's Will I Am, wasn't it? Was that Will? I, that makes sense. But but then but then dude was As so a, fat. I was I, like, I, Will ain't been that big. Like that it can't be Will. So I'm still up to be corrected, but I was like, I, I think that's Will uh, I Am with the big that, helmet that, with the black screen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was like, who? At first, I was like, it must be one of those new people that hide their faces. And then I was like, no, it can't be. That doesn't make, you wouldn't put them in the Super well, Bowl. Because it like doesn't, Marshmallow or whatever. It doesn't make any sense for anybody else to come on to, when that song goes, da, 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 da. It's like, that's Will I Am's joint. So it got to be Will. But yeah, dude was looking. But, but I could, yeah, I couldn't tell through the helmet. Anyway. Yeah, but did you see the, you see but, the little lollipop kid? <laughs> What was going on with Jermaine Dupree? Why did he dress like that? I have no idea. He dressed like a schoolgirl. You know, it makes sense. He is from Atlanta. No. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so the effeminacy kind of coming off on him made a little sense. But Usher, I only have a couple critiques with Usher. Um, but it was overall, I think it could have been worse. Right. That's what I thought oh, yeah. about with the Super Lake. This could have been That was my thought way. too. I was like, oh, look at that. They're they're not trying to you know be um controversial you know they're just trying to give people what they want i love the roller skating the roller skating uh, ticket back yeah you know he's been yeah, doing the, that almost every day in his um his uh vegas show so he's oh been, really yeah the roller skating thing he's, he added to his repertoire a while ago but he's been pulling it out <laughs> so i, I think to- what's amazing so you know a couple of things. One, I felt old because I was like last year because, you know, you put the people in the Super Bowl that the that are old enough that the most of the people are going to know who they are. You don't because you're not going after the young, hip kids in the Super Bowl halftime show. Right. So you look at you're like, oh, and, and you know, they when they they've tried that with like uh you know, Katy Perry when she was kind of at her peak and it failed miserably because everybody work. was like, who is this? Because most of the people that are, you know, you don't have a ton of teenagers watching. But um, so I was like, oh, apparently I am now classic, you know, on the classic rock station and I'm old school hip hop now. And yep. Because <laughs> I'm, because the Super Bowl is the people that I listen to when I'm feeling, uh, um, Oh, yeah. What's it called? You know, when you're nostalgic. So, but well, I, you know, well, I realized I, I was old when the, I was working with some young cats. They're like seventeen and twenty, and they were like, "Usher still makes music." <laughs> but but Usher has a Vegas show, so that's like that's old. That's you like old now. second. Second round of Elvis's life, right? You know, right. But that was some of his um, best stuff, though. That's when he started really hitting it. Oh, it's it's totally true. But it is still like Vegas Elvis means you now you're old enough to to the, that people that are out gambling, people that are pulling slots for entertainment because they've got enough money to they've got enough cash to do that are interested one of the so. kids asked who is usher 
I was like, 11 o'clock on the dot. I'm in my trap. You don't know who Ush is. He, uh, I'm sure they've heard the songs because they're pretty ubiquitous. But, but he's not. I mean, he's he's pretty old. But yo, he's 45. <laughs> all I can think about. He's 45. What do you mean? He's I, really I old? mean, to be up on stage and dancing, then he's 45. Satchel Page was pitching at 59 and pitched three innings, I think, at least without having anybody like no hitters for three at 59. Was he a a, uh, knuckleballer? How is he still pitching at 59? I don't know, but I know he had a recliner and somebody, some masseuse over there in the bullpen. <laughs> no lie. <laughs> yeah, he had he had like a whole bunch of help and a special kind of chair. And he get down and be like, ooh, baby, rub my feet. <laughs> so, but when Ludacris came out, all I could think about was Cat Williams. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, you know what was better, though? I was surprised. Little John stole the show. Little John looked better than everybody else. I mean, he... And he had on cowboy boots with black leather. That's hard to pull off as a black dude. He did it. <laughs> and he looked absolutely good. I was like, all right, little John, looking like you've been maturing well, unlike the rest of some of y'all. I was impressed. Yeah. Well, I, Alicia Keys looked fantastic, too. Alicia I mean, Keys sound horrible. I mean, that piano, there's no way that piano is ever going to sound good. The thing was made of plexiglass, so yeah, you know a what? plexiglass piano. But that's- let's be honest. That's not what we heard. They don't play any real instruments up there anyway, so it wasn't like you heard that piano. You didn't hear that piano. <laughs> that might be true. I actually don't know. I didn't no, think no, about they that. don't. They don't allow them to play real instruments. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, they record it, and then the only thing is there is voice, so you're hearing track. Okay, I knew there was some... Um, you know, recorded stuff, but I, and, and I knew it wasn't because of the, the, who was it that got caught lip syncing? Millie Vanilli and those guys. No, no. I mean, in the, uh, in the Super Bowl, right. There was somebody that, that, but, uh, and so they do, I know they don't do the voices anymore, but, or maybe it wasn't the Super Bowl, but it was a big, anyway, I know that, but I didn't realize that the instruments weren't, really played yeah i think they yeah i think maybe the maybe the drums there's just some there's some most like the guitar and leads and uh pianos yeah. and stuff like that is but alicia keys had to have she had to have surgery on her vocal cords so i, I oh, don't know recently? if she'll ever sound like Ugh. herself again well she she never really was a good singer so that's just no, she's a great songwriter though yeah oh yeah mm. well <laughs> we won't mm. see see this is not what we was going to talk about today this is not <laughs> But but you gonna make you gonna make us popular. <coughs> she all right. Some people, I guess, when you cheating with a married man, I guess you can write some songs. There might be a few things uh-huh. you can say. So, See, I don't know anything about so, Alicia Keys other than you know a, a couple of her songs, and really just the that one album. She's got the one album that was she huge. Ratchet. That's, <laughs> she, she's a bad person, uh, Bruh. <laughs> I, I don't know. I I did think that Usher, um, Usher, you know, he mentioned prayer and trusting God in one of the transitions, and uh, and I was like, hmm, that probably honors God more than that he gets us at. <laughs> okay, that's what I was see. That's what I was going to talk to you about. Hold on. Uh, so a lot of uh, people were super Christians and didn't watch the Super Bowl. 
So I actually went and got that ad. So he gets his ad. I wanted to bring it in here. Where is it? There we go. Um, doo doo. Boom, boom. There we go. I'm gonna bring it in right now. There it is. All right. So I went and uh, let me go find the other part of this ad. So, dude, I saw this ad and I immediately went to Twitter because I was pretty, pretty ticked. Um, here, I'm going to just try and play it for everybody. See if they let me play. Oh, good. Here it is. All right. So for those people listening, I'll try and Jason's going to try and um, give a great voiceover for it. Punk grandson washes feet of grandfather. What's this? This is uh, the police officer. The police officer pouring washing a two liter water of, bottle over the. I, I don't know what you can't be careful, Jason. You you might want to be careful here. I don't know what you can say. A black guy in an alley that a, looks like he's been bl- sleeping there, or selling drugs it, in this alley. Okay. Oh, you think he's homeless? You think that's the? Well, I mean, he ain't got he, no shoes on. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. Well, yeah, it's, but it's because nobody has any shoes in the entire thing. But the whole, but he's, dude, he paid a lot for that haircut. If he's homeless, this is the problem with AI images. I think they're all AI images. Uh, they said they were actually a photographer who took them. We'll we'll talk about that in a second too. But I think they're all AI okay. images too. I think they're merged AI images with photographers. Yeah. Um, his shirt looked dirty, so I don't think he actually is. Uh, what is he? Gangbanger, I don't know, drug dealer, but but like look at look at he's got those the chains, he's got the nice haircut, but then he's also homeless. That's because he stole them, and that's why he in the alley. Okay, okay, but a police officer is watching, and a Mexican police officer. It's not a white police officer, Me- by the way. It looks like a Mexican police officer is washing his feet. I think he would have okay. portrayed better if it was a white guy. Anyway, don't ask me. Uh, the popular girl at school is washing. The unpopular girl's feet, you think? Wait, wait, which one is that supposed to be? I think the girl with the red hair is the popular one, and the other girl is trying to be her. I don't know. Anyway, I can't tell. (laughs) In this Uh, one. Cowboy washing an Indian's foot. See, there are shoes here. See, he's not homeless. You said nobody else has shoes in here. I think the other black guy's homeless. They both. No. Look, he has no shoes on, though. No, but they both. But there's boots here. If you go back. There's. Yeah, he took his boots off. Yeah, oh, go, I see. You see, there's no... Oh, dude's got shoes on the left side. I see. This just yeah. covered up. Okay, so he might not be homeless. He, I might have messed that one up. There we go. Cowboy, white cowboy washing the Indian's foot. Okay. Uh, you got the abortion protesters over there. Washing the murderer's hold, foot. Holding the upside-down oh, yeah. signs. Say say save the unborn while a, a mom is washing her daughter's foot, who just had an abortion. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. It's a, it's a picture. They're, okay. So they, yeah. So there's a picture in front of a family planning a family clinic planning clinic with protesters that don't seem to be really engaged. It, while there's a lady sitting here rubbing the feet. Of and washing the feet of a young girl who doesn't seem to be pregnant, but probably just had an abortion. That's what I think they want to convey. I think that's what they're trying to convey too. Mm. This one upset me. You you think? 
It's because they're trying. It's because they're going after you. I, I'm not. And I, anyway, you you got a a girl, a younger girl washing the foot of an alcoholic, or crackhead. Makes you say alcohol. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, alcohol. Because you're I mean, right. You got the alcohol. You got all the alcohol the over there and you're the cigarettes. Right. No, no. Um. Oh, I get uh, this one. Clean air now. Oh. Okay. So it's a an oiler washing the feet of a environmental activists who wants clean air. And so he thinks she's the bad guy because she wants clean air. Yeah, he he would hate clean air. Yeah, like that's because definitely. Yeah. I was standing. An immigrant in front of a bus and a suburban white lady. A suburban white white lady's washing the foot of a, a, a Hispanic Hispanic mom. Or- with the baby South, in her arm. South American immigrant, maybe. Yeah, South American immigrant. How about that? Yeah. And a white lady on the on her knees washing her feet. Uh yeah. You were there. Um a middle class. Another suburban mom. Yeah. Washing the feet of a Muslim mom, Muslim woman, with her husband, the suburban mom's husband. Looking judgingly from the corner. Was it? Is that judgingly, or is it like am I next? I, I'm, am I going to get my foot washed? Is her husband going to do it? This is weird. And this is why we're not Christians. All right, man. Yeah. Uh, this looks like just so. This one has a black lady and maybe an Indian woman, and. A crowd from oh, it's, each of Yeah, because it's it's and the black people are yelling no censorship and the Asians are yelling shut him up. Silence hate. Mm. So Yeah, I see what they're getting that, that black and Asian hate that's going on that kind of thing. <clears throat> but no censorship is what the the bad guys are saying. Mm. Now this one you got two old guys in some place, um, old shabby um cookout restaurant, old, old restaurant sitting down south, just taking a bath with their feet together. Now this one is interesting because they're not actually washing each other's feet. But they just they're just washing their feet together. Yeah, because you know th- that one trope, blacks entering the back. That's I think that's why they got them old and like not the drinking from this water fountain. So that way they came from oh, the okay. same era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've got the Roman Catholic priest, the white Roman Catholic priest in California. Is that California or Florida? Sure. And on the shore, on the this, beach. Yeah. This ain't happening in Wa- Florida. <laughs> washing, the, washing the feet of a gay black man. Uh, on his knees. Jesus didn't teach. Jesus didn't teach hate. He, he washed, washed feet. feet. He gets, he gets us. us. All of us. All of us. So. This is. 
first off, if if they were trying to make these into real, if if like I know, I know that they apparently said that they are real photos, yeah, but they failed because it looks like AI. The whole time I was like, how much money did they spend on a bunch of mid grade AI photos, um, and then put them on the Super Bowl? So just the straight quality of the ad I thought was really i mean it's it's just photos um they they raised what a hundred million dollars hundred million dollars with a plan on raising and spending a billion dollars no to yeah with to uh the the purpose was to they they said we're gonna make jesus uh the most um as they say, all these images. Oh, it is. All the images in the spot were shot by international fine art photographer Julia. Julia. Well, Fullerton Batten. Um. So, but that's they they paid a lot of money for photos, um, uh, and that were intentionally hard to understand. I couldn't. I can't tell if if they were trying to be intentionally you know um you think they were hard to understand well some of them were um but or but they but they what they said at the beginning cuz we uh i've met and interacted with some of the folks that have given money mm. to this what but- they said in the beginning when they were starting off was we are going to make um you know, the, the Bible, the New Testament talks about how Jesus got famous and we're going to use brand marketing to brand, to, to make Jesus's brand the most popular brand in the country, right? And, and they got people with a lot of money to give up a lot of money for that goal. And then they went out and they hired a left-leaning, um, not, non-Christian, um, who's a marketing person, who's very who's fiercely passionate about DEI that's what what she loves um to push uh diversity equity and inclusion um to to uh show that Jesus is not owned by the conservatives that was the that was how it was put in the um when they actually said here's what we want to do here's here's the here's the branding that we want is that Jesus is not owned by the church or conservatives. Um, <clears throat> which the, a, a non-political Jesus is a leftist ideal, right? It, and it always has been. Um, they, and uh, so it's not saying that there's not, that we're going to have no politics involved. What they're saying is, only leftist politics are going to be allowed in our ads. And so they, and, and they've, they've accomplished that by making Jesus into a moralist um, who is just, you know, he, where his life is a model of high morals and that, and uh, that's, that is therefore a good, that, you know, that's how he should be known or how we can come to know him. Um, is as a model for our morals. Um, It's, but that, and that's something that goes, that really does go back 
um, to the, uh, to the, uh, that Gnostic, that Gnostic enlightenment that says religion is something internal. Religion is, has to do with morals, um, but the externals of life, politics and such, are, are a-religious or non-religious. Um, and that's something that, uh, that, that the evolution of religion, um, he, he, and that's, that's the, the term that the Enlightenment uh, philosophers use, is the evolution of religion was something that moved from a purely external thing to a purely internal thing. It moved from a purely physical thing to a purely spiritual thing, right? Um, and so religion used to be about controlling society. And, you know, it religion was necessary um, in the ancient world because uh, it was a part of the evolutionary process. But now that we've been enlightened, religion is an internal thing and we no longer uh, run our externals according to religion, but we use whatever it is, natural law. We use... Uh, what's, what some people said we use um, science uh, we you, this uh, this is something that um, that uh, Eric Vogelin tracks yeah, yeah. through it through the the actual writings of enlightenment and modernist uh, philosophers and thinkers in um, uh, modernity without restraint is one of the books uh, science politics and Gnosticism um oh what's the other one uh oh political religions that he wrote a book called political religions um that does that 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 talks about this and it's basically that that the thing that religion quote unquote religion that, that, so and this is something that the that we ha we have accepted all of the definitions of the enlightenment for all these categories and they're not coming from the bible anymore so religions um the the place that religions held in the ancient world um have been uh, or not in the ancient world but really in the middle ages the place that religion Christ christianity held um has been replaced by uh a pol by by our political affiliation right so when we so it used to be that you know you um it's funny you it's have... just saying that i'm thinking about that's exactly what made um russia come together i was listening to putin's interview with, with tucker oh i haven't listened to it yet and I that's one really of the things hoping. that he talks about what unified russia was the baptism like that we were coming together it was language and then one coming underneath one religion and that's when you know he talks about you know it's kind of like their heyday is that they were all one religion you know right they were all baptized well, and that, and so putin I'm curious. I, I'm interested to listen to that interview partly because Putin, how many years ago was it now? It was about 10 years ago that he said he'd become a Christian, left behind his atheism. And um, so I, I am curious to see what effect that has ended up having on him and the way he thinks. And, um, oh, because boy. he wasn't a that. good guy 30 years ago, 40 years ago. He, you know, um, he was one of the leaders of the bad guys uh in the atheist communist <clears throat> but he and but he, what he said was in studying the history of russia uh, he realized that what 
the, the effect that Christianity had had for good and that it was what made Russia into Russia. And so he converted to, to Russian Orthodoxy from atheism. So, um, but, I, and you think, okay, well, and I don't know what, I mean, there's a language barrier and all that. So I don't know exactly what that even means, but I thought this would be an interesting place because you've got a similar story with, um, with uh, Tucker Carlson right so he he just a few years ago um said in just in the studying of his studying of history and he just realized oh christianity's got to be true and um he he converted to episcopalianism in new york as to episcopal church um that's hardly christian (laughs) (laughs) is that that how he's he's barely he's barely christian Episcopal yeah. Church, Episcopal, Episcopal Church, but he is. Um, so you've got, so you've got those two. So that, I thought that would be an interesting conversation for that reason. Um, I also think that the, um, and this is, I, I think that it was that that invading the Ukraine is the wrong way to solve the problem, um, but the problem of the Ukrainian, uh, the the Ukrainians being the. Uh, the uh money laundering spot for the all of the leftist you know people trying to basically t- uh turn Europe into a leftist utopia the same, uh the largest donations to the democratic party came from Ukraine uh for Ukrainian banks uh you've got the the world economic forum using the Ukrainian banks to to change all their money you know, you've um, you've got all the all of that going on on top of the fact that you've got uh, BlackRock making significant installations. You've got some American um, weapons uh, bioweapons factories going in in Ukraine, right on the Russian border. You've got all this stuff going on that is Ukraine has made themselves a threat to Europe, um, and uh, uh, the and now. You know, the, you've got all these major loans that we've given to the Ukrainians in order to uh, really, in order to um, fund their their side of the war. All of them have the the money has to be spent in certain ways, and every single aspect of the the spending um, that they have that they have to use the money for is on in a BlackRock company. Right, so every penny of the money that we give to them has to be spent in a BlackRock company, and then um, all of that that land that they're fighting for um, at the end of the day is going up for sale if they win the war. Right, so if they win the war, the the land they're fighting over that that piece of land that's the most productive farmland in the country. Uh, in in the in the con- on the continent of Europe, right? 80 percent of the grains, I believe, are grown on that land that they're fighting over. Um, that is going to be uh, put up for sale at the end of the war. And you know, BlackRock right now owns the most um, farmland in the world, and so I'm sure that that's a big part of the the plan i mean we'll see it's that's just future prediction but that that land is going to go up for sale and be bought up by um by these major international corporations right so really this war is an international catastrophe 
um, that's happening right now that where more more resources of Europe are being funneled into and now the Americas are being funneled into these international corporate conglomerates um, through the war, right? By means of the war, the war never helps anyone but the but the uh, corporations. So, um, and we've this has been happening since really World War Two. I was going to say, when, yeah, when, turn of century. Yeah, that's when we realized the possibilities. Yeah, because I think you're right. Act and yeah. Anyway, no, you're right. Yeah. So I I don't think World War Two was necessarily started to benefit the corporations, but I think the corporations that came at, that were birthed out of World War Two um, used their money to make sure that wars kept happening, um, and it's a it they the war is so far happening not in america um but i don't think they're going to care that much where their weapons are used this is an iron man one situation um where you've got a you but i don't think we're going to get a tony stark uh philanthropist out of it unfortunately don't don't leave elon musk out of that conversation he did by <laughs> x no, you're right. He is the one that is. So, and and by mean, the way, it, can, and a just lot of to, this information would be would have stayed hidden if he wouldn't have bought X. That's my whole point. So I think we do. If you're going to follow the narrative, I think we do have a Tony Stark. He's if the part of warfare is all information, and and especially with America, since we get to control our politics, or at least we got the. Seems like we get to control our politics. It's written in our bylaws that we get to control our politics. Um that information is everything. Every decision we yeah. make is based off information. If you can control the flow of information, then you can control the nation. And so Elon sees that. And so he's like, let me put $44 billion into this company so that he's got interests in the same way BlackRock does. He's got interests in every nation in the, in the world, right, with what he's doing. He's, Elon is international. He's trying, he's got satellites in space, Right. Like, so he's servicing the world right yeah. now and everything he, he so. What's a, great, though, is he understands because of the way he's built his company, he understands that peace benefits him and war does not. That's right. That's right. right. And when you've built a company that's benefited by war, then you're going to subsidize more war. No. And <laughs> yes. So, oh. I mean, I, I honestly think um, that the. You, the the candidate that was run against Trump, what's her name? Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley. That Nikki Haley, the reason that she's such a warmonger is because of where her money comes from, right? Well, yeah, I mean, she's pr they're protecting so interests. You, she benefits from more war. You see the same with um, Biden. You know, he. Uh, I mean, the last the last thing that happened to Trump before. He got "quote unquote" voted out. Um, was the uh, his conversation with the Ukrainians about the fact that they'd been infiltrated and that the money was being uh, the, that that uh, aid money was being misappropriated to these co corporations, right? And they're like, "We've got to get rid of him," and so they leaked "quote unquote" leaked this conversation which was illegal um, but nobody's talking about that yeah it, it is but it, but it, when you listen to the whole thing trump was absolutely in the right and we see now that he, what he was saying was 
if this doesn't get dealt with, there's going to be war. And we're, and he's trying to stop war. I mean, he, there was less war in the world after Trump's four term or four years, because he understands that war doesn't benefit anyone except for the, um, the, the ultra wealthy corporations of the world, right? Everyone else, um, is hurt by war, right? People are hurt by war. And so you should want no war. Um, and so he, he fought for that. And then here's the thing, like, I, I wasn't a huge fan of his domestic policies. Um, the way that he thinks about, um, domestic spending and things. I'm not a big fan. I don't think he's necessarily got a great, uh, social moral compass. Uh, but his it is undeniable that his international policy if you don't want war his international policy was superior to any president we've had since maybe calvin coolidge in terms of the ability to uh, oppose war from your position as president so um yeah okay so i took you on a sidebar we went over to another end but i want to go back to what you were talking about where you were saying that um, the religion was replaced with kind of politics. I, I, wanna, I want you to finish that thought. And um, so religion has been replaced and, oh, what was it? Yeah, so, so religion has been replaced with political affiliation. Yes, because yeah, I want to so, ask you something about that. When you say that, like, I'm trying to see, and that's related to the ad he gets us. And you're saying this is all coming from the Enlightenment. So how, but when I see that he gets us ad, all I see is a political ad. Right. But what folks on the left say is we are neutral center, right? You are being political with your religion over there. That, that's, the, that's the way that they talk because um, that is the, that's, and, and I don't mean this in a, uh, in a conspiracy theory way, but that's the Marxist way of uh, that. That's the Marxist way of doing rhetoric, right? You assume the center, you assume that we are the, um, we're the normal ones and you're radicals, right? We're just normal center people that just love others, right? That's us. Am I a Marxist? You're now? the radicals. You're a radical hate. You're, you're the ones doing radical hatred. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> and the way they, the way that Marxism, as uh, as an ideology, does that is by shifting the Overton window, mm. um, by never, but by, by the people that are actually their radicals. You know, that you've got the people that are out, um, like spiking trees to kill lumberjacks. Uh, you know, where you pound a, a giant. Have you not heard of this? Right? They they want it to save the trees. They pound these into just a handful of them they just pound a giant steel rod in and so when they go to cut down the tree it cuts the chain the chain flies off and kills the lumberjack no way that happens once that happens twice the no lumberjack will go in and cut down those trees anymore right because of terrorism that's terrorism um you don't have to do it to every tree uh because it's that's not good for the tree either but you do it to just a few and it kills a couple of lumberjacks right you've got radical leftist environmentalists that value trees over people that do something like that and you get nothing from the left in terms of saying 
they, they might say like, well, that's not, that's not the right way to go about it, but I, but they're, you know, they're doing the right thing. You, that's the the most condemnation you can get. I mean, this is why they're, you get, have all of everybody burning down cities, um, throwing mysterious bricks that show up on pallets that nobody knows where from. Um, and, and, uh, and you, you get one arrest, maybe, you know, um, the guy that uh, live twitched his burning of target through his streaming channel like that guy got arrested but you've got everybody who's there in there yeah right and no you don't get other arrests so they they know they need a scapegoat and so they they pick one um so that they can say well look we are still upholding the law you know but but really that the way of assuming the center is a, a so you you don't argue you don't come in and argue for your position you assume your position is the center and you make everyone else have to argue with you. And pretty soon everybody starts to say, well, the okay, that's the center normal uh, um, position, the, the majority position, even when it's not, right? So the, um, this is the uh, after the ball yeah. talks about the conversations that they had about this, but I don't think it's a conspiracy. Jam, desensitize, and convert. Like that's yeah. what, right. Yep. Jam, desensitize and convert. And so that started with, for example, with, uh, um, with, uh, the trans push, um, that started all the way back in the late sixties. Um, it really wasn't a push then though. It was just, you had some weirdos on the fringes and the, and they then became pawns in the scheme of some people. So, right. they, they though those folks weren't trying to push anything, but they were pawns in the scheme to de-Christianize. The because if you remember the Freudian way of thinking about this, you've got your id, your your basic desires, and then you've got the super ego, which is society's expectations of you, and then mm. your ego is there in the middle and if your ego is uh causing all sorts of problems um you know if you've got psychoses if you if you're sad the options are you can change your id you know work to change your desires because you've got the wrong set of desires or you can change society and that is in theory in that theory is going to to make everybody feel better right so that's why they go around saying you're gonna have you, what do you want these kids to commit suicide because of societal expectations? We've got to change societal expectations, or these kids are going to commit suicide. Okay, right? so, that's a Freudian argument. I, I, so here's a man. I want to. Okay, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think. What is? Remember when the Black Lives Matter, like you said, their rhetoric is really good, mm -hmm. right? And so it puts you immediately on a defensive position where you argue from their center and they've already won the argument if that's what the situation is. Right. So right. what is the type of rhetoric that we need to be using for this? Like, I really like what Nate Wilson did with black lives matter. Right. So black lives matter. And then somebody said, well, all lives matter. And then that just didn't work. Right. I, that, that just never, um, blue lives matter. It's like, yeah, you still, and, and it, that just, they never were able to really create an argument against black lives matter because it's such a great statement. What are you trying yeah. to say? Black lives don't matter. And it's like, we're not saying 
We're just saying the people who are hurting, their lives matter. Okay, so they make the argument. No one really came up with it. And Nate did a really great job of like, all black lives matter. Now, all of a sudden, they're in conflict with their own statement. Right? right. And it's such a great rhetorical. And all he did was add one word. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and now they sit up there and you just own the center. What is the what is the way? Because this and this is really weird, because as you were talking, I'm thinking to myself. So here's one question. What's the rhetorical response to something like this? And here's a statement that's kind of wrapped up in that question. The reason I'm asking is because this is not like this is the left having already fully infiltrated the Christian mind that Christians who are on our team are looking to leftists to help us message something for they're, they're being played. They're yeah. just flat out. I mean, the Green family, a good family, they, they're a part of this movement. They've invested into this movement, right? And so but they, they invested in the original pitch sure they got lied to is what happened but but part of what the part of the reason that they were able to swallow this lie is because they are concerned about how the world views christianity they are and so they're trying to help turn Mm -hmm. because they're getting hit with all sorts of stuff because as aaron wren said we're living in a negative world negative christian world and so christianity is not good and they're like wait a second if this is all about marketing, how do we market the good of Christianity? So it makes sense. And, and and I get it, but the best marketing that we have is hard work and the but before that even is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there it is. Like that's the power of God into salvation. We don't need a marketing strategy to figure out how to change how the world views Christians. It's really simple. We got a history for this. You preach the gospel and you go and die and you work hard, right? Maybe not in that order. How about working hard and die goes along? <laughs> but, um, but <clears throat> how, uh, <clears throat> what is more fundamental about us? Our religious identity before God or our national identity? See, I, I don't, I don't like, I think it's a false dichotomy. Right. Because God placed you strategically in a place to be that, you know, I think all I mean, those. But which one which one do we receive at birth? Are you John the Baptist? Uh, No, I I mean, in in the American church, which of those two things do we receive at birth? Are you a Baptist? Right. <laughs> That's the question though. So yeah. if you are born yeah. Yeah. an American and later you add on being a Christian, yeah, then your American identity is more fundamental. That is your you and, and your sacraments are telling you that. Yeah. I will say the thing God gave us That's right. to give us our identity, our covenantal identity tells us in the american church that our politics is more fundamental than our that's really good jason you know i would say my the most fundamental identity that i have is christian is it mm-hmm. right. uh, yeah of course yeah. but i mean right. but my, but christian but that's and not it what has your sacrament be. that's not what the sacraments of most churches are telling us right right oh you better shut up this has to do with 
and and that flows out of our compromise with the enlightenment the enlightenment came along and said you can have your religion but it has to be secondary to to... politics Mm. and we said okay we'll just start baptizing people upon profession of faith they get their citizenship at birth right so our sacraments are speak loudly um and i mean really what it comes down to is this is the wait that oh keep going God, i'm listening i'm listening let me let me think through that's we, we, that's, so we, ooh, we, that's an enlightenment we, thing huh mm-hmm Right. So um, there's no there's no way to fight this without reform in the church. I mean, this is the thing that drives me nuts about people that are like worried about Jewish conspiracies and like dead things don't rot. I mean, living things don't rot. Only dead things rot. And so you look at the rot and the people's ability you know the the left's ability to come in and you know push the church out and around and well the church has been has been dead and dying in america for a long time the fact that almost none of the historic church buildings still have faithful um christian services in them tells us that we've been that the church has been in exile from itself itself a long time right that's not that doesn't happen when you faithfully continue to preach the gospel when you stop preaching the gospel god kicks you out of your cathedrals it's just um so we so the church has its own covenantal identity problem which is why so is this part of like the church gave up on the world yeah i think the church gave up on the world but the church also let the world's redefinition of its role um in and how did it do that you have to think little of the world you can't you can't we would never let the world redefine communion why would we and so to let them redefine historically in america it happened when we uh i i mean my my take is that in america when the um when the church st- stopped basically opposing slavery, uh, race-based slavery in America, uh, the church gave up its public voice, right? Mm. So it, uh, and it said, we're going to, and so, because that was the argument, right? So in England, um, it happened at a different time, because in England, the, the you literally had people on the floor of the House of Lords opposing um uh oh the who's the who is the guy that in england that argued against the slave trade being allowed in england um his Um, name is escaping me the movie amazing grace was about him um you had people telling him leave your religion at home religion this this is this is politics here you know um you don't do politics with an open bible you know you don't right all of the arguments that we hear now um, about uh, the the that there's no place in politics for religion 
England heard Will, those. William Wilberforce. Wilberforce. Right? William Wilberforce. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, me too. Um, Eng- England heard those, and William Wilberforce um, stood and uh, and was the the scapegoat basically in that situation who took all of that heat and won. Um, there were other things going on, right? They had a whole uh, they they had uh, they were doing plays and publishing books and and novels and all sorts of things. There was a huge, what you would call a media push at the time, um, in the in the um, in the fictional media space that changed the opinion of the English people to William Wilberforce's opinion. But William Wilberforce stood and said, "Jesus hates kidnapping. Jesus hates selling people." Jesus hates, right? He stood in the public sphere and they, and over and over, um, the, uh, there's a really, there was a really great biography, um, that I read about William Wilberforce and it went through the rhetoric that was used against him. And it's all leave your religion out of the public square. There isn't any place for the Bible here. The Bible is for private religion you know all all of that religion is a private thing this is the public this is public all that all those arguments and he just refused to step down and and won right so um that was a a huge thing at the time well the um here the abolitionist movement that had to move outside the church right you didn't have the uh you had the the church turn against uh, so that where the House of Lords, the the Christians ended up banding together and br- bringing down slavery. But the House of Lords, the bishops sit on the House of Lords. So the Christians binding together there is the church doing it, right? Well, we, um, mm. the all of the the church still had a public voice here. I mean, that's the reason we still have, um. Uh, tax uh, uh, non-profit tax status in the church automatically is because the church has always had a public voice and its job was to be um, you know was to be a public institution and but when the when the church's public uh, institutional voice all said the church is a private institution we're not going to speak about slavery that's something that the pol- the politicians have to figure out um they went the the public voice went away and it, and it's i mean it, it it's went away slowly over time but it even retreated out of the um at, you know you, you had the it, again in the 60s you had a group of religious leaders who basically would put together what was and wasn't allowed to be released publicly in theaters by Hollywood, right? It was a group of religious leaders that put that together. Um, one year they just said, hey, we're not going to do that anymore. They weren't forced out. They weren't pushed out. They just said, this is a public um, sphere thing and religion is a private enterprise. Right? So the church retreated out of the public sphere. It wasn't forced out. And it retreated because it had redefined itself according to enlightenment categories. So in order to retain its academic respect, right? Because it, the, the Academy was the one using those 
categories in order to retain its academic respect it retreated out of the public sphere so we we bowed and scraped and walked away um so that the so that they would keep handing out phds at yale um divinity to us i mean that that's that's <sighs> what happened but that happened a long time ago i mean hundred years wasn't ago. yale ours More, yale was ours it was but the academic um institutions get, were the first to get compromised they were easier to compromise than the than the pulpits um, mm. but you had to compromise them first because they trained all the pulpits so this is where you know you had machen go to germany um to get his his uh training in divinity his divin um his you know his mdiv and uh they were so much further along in their modernism because Kant had kind of destroyed the mind of the church um, already. The church had destroyed its own mind by accepting Kant's categories, really. Um, that we, that he came back and he said, and, and it, it had the realization, I think, by the Spirit's prompting, that the that the American church was following along behind and we needed a seminary that was going to truly teach the gospel. Um, and the, uh, and, and he was right, right. Cause Princeton falls shortly thereafter. Yale really fell just before that. Um, Harvard divinity had gone completely uh, up in smoke as well. Like all of those things were Christian in their origin. Um, but the the academic respectability is a powerful drug that we need to hate. Are, are you <laughs> now? Fam are you familiar with the after party? I'm trying to find it right now. The after party that sounds really familiar. It's uh, David French and Russell Moore and um, I can't remember this guy's name. They basically, uh, I'm trying to find this the is, video clip. Is this the George Soros funded thing? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I knew, I knew it sounded like a. Uh, George Soros. It, it is no, it's, no. It's um, it's a uh, Rockefeller. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, have you seen the clip where they talk about "Let us handle your politics"? I'm trying to find it for you. Oh, what's this guy's name? I'm looking it up right now. Oh, that's not. Come on. Um, I played the clip on Cross Politic. Um, it, it it goes right along with what you're saying about this kind of. Uh, redeeming Deep. babble. I'm trying to find. This so, clip. but but. We got to make sure that we do get to, to the point where we talk about how the how the church as an institution engages in politics, because I think a lot of times what people do is they say, "Oh, the, the uh, we we can't be apolitical," um, but then the church does its politics in exactly the same way. The church starts thinking of itself as a voting block. Um, yeah. Yeah, thinking that that's where its influence is, but it's not. Well, okay, here it goes. I found it. This is. I think okay. this is. Um, let so me see if I can it's pull tempting it to think, oh God, I've got to preach the sermon. Can you hear that? Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna try and bring it in. Uh, doo -doo 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 -doo. 
present oh i'm in the wrong browser what, what were you saying about um politics how we the church thinks it needs to well, do well this it's we because we have already compromised on um on i at, at the level of identity um and when we go to fight when we go to when we try to get the church to enter the political realm we think that it has to enter the political realm the way any old institution does and we think of it as a voting block um, because voting is where the real power is um, but that's but the church is not a voting block that's not what makes it uh political right the church is the body of christ and the voice of christ created the world and now the voice box of christ has been put into the church right and uh so we don't we we aren't a voting block um we are a a, a separate polis or a separate institution a public institution that um and it's really word and sacrament and church discipline that are our mm. powers to transform the world uh but it's a we're a transformative institution it's a real government are, that has a real effect it's a, it's a real government yeah. that has a real transformative power in the world that is layered along with, uh, layered over the world with family government and civil government right so right. the all of these are real governments um and we don't they're, and they're like layered and so it's the jurisdictional when we try to say um we've got to we've got to get political and what we mean is get control of a different jurisdiction then it's tempting to think uh, oh god we actually are less powerful in the world um than how god intends us because what we need to do is that's really run good. our own our own jurisdiction well that's really good you know when you're it's um it's there what i'm noticing and i've been noticing a lot recently there's a tendency to want to collapse governments into mm -hmm. one sphere which it must be part of the enlightenment too i just don't know how but it's the, it's the democratization of everything, ah. right? So they're the only real government is individual government. And then we give every other institution its, it's reality power. by our vote. Oh, oh, okay. I hope somebody needs to write that down. And so, but I'm, I'm noticing that my question almost to everything now is which government is in charge of this situation and what and here's what i'm noticing and what authority do they have right and here's something i'm noticing i'm noticing that in one way or another each government is touching the situation right each government is touching um when it comes to a, a crime there are parts of the church that it deals with that in a certain way and it preaches against it and it calls people to repent. It restores people. Um, uh, 
the, the, the house, the home government actually has something to say about that situation and they're dealing with that situation and they have certain sanctions that they can put on this. And then the civil government, depending on how far we are into this, can actually offer the death penalty or um, some sort of corporal punishment publicly even. And so these governments work together. They're not separate entities, but I know we're not asking that. We don't even think like that anymore mm-hmm. about how that works. I want to play this clip for you. Um, this is from the, because uh, it, it just hit right when you were saying it. This is from the after party. I can't remember. I'll find out who this guy, uh, it's Curtis Chang. Um, and he's talking about um, how to take the bullseye off a of pastor's backs as it relates to politics. It's tempting to think, oh, God, I've got to preach the sermon, the sermon that will like, you know, reframe everything, solve all my problems. And that turns out to be, for most pastors, a really flawed process because the Sunday morning sermon is actually a really bad way to deal with something like politics. It's one-to-many communication. It's limited. People are bound to misunderstand even you know, a small thing you say. People will filter what you're saying through their existing political biases. In 30 minutes, I guarantee you, if you go up on Sunday morning in most congregations and you try to preach the one sermon on politics that you haven't been preaching on for a long time, uh, your Monday morning inbox uh, is going to be an ugly scene. Uh, and, and that's honestly why most pastors or many pastors don't preach on politics on Sunday morning because they instinctively know my Monday morning inbox is going to look awful if I do that. So the, the challenge we need is to give churches and pastors a way to head in towards healthy Christian politics that doesn't force them to preach this magical Sunday morning sermon that will solve everything. And the after party is our attempt to do that so that you don't have to do all the heavy lifting. And also, frankly, you don't have to take the bullseye, right? Because this way, if you run the after party in your small group community, uh, in your Bible studies and so forth like that, then if people get mad, they get mad at Curtis, Russell, and David. (laughs) They get less mad at you. You can have plausible deniability, right? You can just say, hey, you know, I don't agree with everything these guys say, but I think they're worth listening. That's the classic move, you know, you do make as a pastor, right? uh, You want to inject something, but, you know, not have to take all of the shots for it, which you shouldn't have to take all the shots for. That should be part of our job is to do that. That's the partnership here. That's that's the partnership here. Dude, that is evil. (laughs) Pure evil. Yes. Yes. But that goes right along with what you were saying. Right. Like we've gotten this separation there and the way that they and so Russell Moore and David French and Curtis Chang, they want to be the ones who disciple your people on politics. And you know what? If you are interested in somebody to do that, then you are just doing your job horribly as a pastor. Well, for one, that is it, it, he even says like he mocks the idea that sermons are magical mm. sermons are magical mm, you better say it come on now it's like you got to get this out of your sermon because well, we're going to preach a magical sermon yes every sunday that's what <laughs> pastors do they preach a magical <laughs> sermon the sermon is a means of grace it's in our it's in what our, do you think the Holy Spirit does? Yeah, it's in our, it's in, it's in the, our, 
I mean, as Presbyterians, and I think I'm pretty sure that's even in the 1689, although I'm not as familiar with 1689, um, but I know it's in the three forms of unity. Uh, I know it's in the Lutheran uh, understanding. I know it's in the Presbyterian understanding that the, uh, that the sermon is a means of grace because the Holy Spirit promises, promises to use it to recreate the people, the world, the, you've got a, a people made of words, the words of Jesus, and then the words of Jesus are declared over them and they are recreated by it. Now, if, if what, I mean, if, if you try to use, that's why if you try to use the pulpit for something like, Hey, I'm going to try and use this to become governor of the city and turn it into a, to stump speeches that, um, that yeah. that's wrong also that's because right. it, that that's not the the because the but that's like shooting too low not shooting too that's high that's right right and they're, that they're like hey, absolutely yeah quit shooting too high with your sermons and expecting them to just magically transform people <laughs> that's a really <laughs> like, good point. why are you getting into the pulpit if you don't believe that if you don't believe that go get a job delivering the mail Mm. <laughs> um i mean I, the the book that taught me this was uh preaching with confidence i got that book by, yeah by james dane where he just goes through and shows the uh both the bible and the the uh ref, reformation interpretation of the different passages about what the sermon is that the sermon is the actual voice of god that the that the pastor's job is to be the voice box of the body of christ in that moment and then when jesus speaks the world is changed mm, right mm, so mm. um the and the sacraments and and this is this is the you know the sacraments are in the other i don't know node of a of the authority of jesus it's the uh, it's the mean it's another means of grace um where so I mean, it's why I think word and sacrament, we always, at least historically, the church has always been really, really in, insistent that word and sacrament are together. are together. And we don't get the, that normally on Sunday Sunday yeah. mornings. Most people go to churches that don't have communion. But the but yeah, exactly but but the word and sacrament, their existence is a threat to political to a political religion their existence is a threat to um tyranny right you, you, the but but we have happily shoveled them off and and replaced them i mean most of the what we would call successful churches in the country have replaced preaching and they don't do the sacraments mm. Right. Um, so it's just, it, 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 but that's what happened. That happened to the church when it was going through its modernist controversy, what we call the liberal church, right? Um, when it, it was embracing liberalism, uh, I mean, Christianity and Liberalism by Machen is a really great book about this. It says, look, liberalism is a different religion. But one of the reasons is because it got rid of things like the, the, I mean, 
the fundamentally miraculous nature of the sermon. It's a funda- I mean, the in 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 uh, in the way we talk, the sermon is a miracle. Right now, it's a it's something. It's a miracle accepted by faith that we, but we, but it's but because we have accepted a mechanistic view of the world, we um, the the category left for um, the what the sermon does is magic, is you know in that system is miraculous. But because we know that um, it's the normal means of grace, we wouldn't call it magic but in their system it is magic um th- that's something that uh that um do you believe in magic <laughs> yeah and i hope <laughs> but you that's what do. that's what vogelin points out right he's he says in a in a communist understanding or in a modernist understanding or in a mechanistic understanding what the prophets are doing there um, is wizardry they're speaking from outside the nor- the system, right? Mm. They they are speaking because everything and and that whoever that dude is Chang, he's he's functionally explaining a mechanistic. Uh, he he's a functional atheist. I don't know if he's a Christian or not. Oh yeah. Probably. Oh yeah. Is he? Oh yeah. But he's functionally an atheist, right? Where he's like, hey. People are gonna misunderstand. This is not. It's one speaking to many, and, and so all, you can cover are, yourself. Yeah, the, you can cover yourself, right? That's what I mean. This literally, Jesus says that this is what happens when you get people sneaking in uh, that are not real shepherds. Right? The, the these are hired hands that he's talking to, and they're like, "Ooh, I can cover my backside. I don't have to worry about dying for the sheep." I, well, this is great, right? It's like, yeah. Mm. You're a false shepherd at that point. You are a hired hand. Um, if you're not willing to die for the sheep, um, I'm gonna, you're you're going to have a lot of people that want to talk to you. You're like, if that's not your goal as a pastor, what are you doing? <laughs> so, you said that was one thing. <laughs> oh, now there's a a really great quote. So this was. Um, I read this in a uh, biography, one of the biographies of Spurgeon. the The man that took over for Spurgeon in L- at the London uh, Tabernacle was an Arminian that was really into um, the the new uh, the new means of evangelism that Charles Finney had developed. Right. So, um, and and he was trying to explain it to some of the people that had been there a long time um, and why that he wanted to add in, you know, this anxious bench and the everybody and come forward if you want to accept Christ and, you know, this sort of uh, manipulative way of, of preaching. Uh, and he said, uh, you know, he was sitting there and explaining it to this, to the, the older people in the church. And he said, look, you got to strike while the iron's hot. And and a little old lady said, <laughs> "When Charles would preach, the iron stayed hot till next week." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, with you know the idea being that it was it was the Holy Spirit that was at right. work, not 
Charles Spurgeon. And, you know, Charles Spurgeon, he had, I can't remember how many steps he had up to the pulpit, but he would say to himself at each step, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the, while getting into the pulpit, because otherwise, what are you doing there? Right. It's the, it is the least effective way to guide and direct and change a people is talking to them in mass. It mm. doesn't work as a, you know, I mean, that's what he said. It's one that it's one talking to many. That's not an effective way to change people. And it's right. true. That is not an effective way to guide and direct and change a people, right? Unless the one who made them is speaking through you, his recreative word, right? Uh, that's the only thing that, because otherwise, I mean, Paul says that the church is a barren woman who will have more children than all other women, right? The A barren woman is a woman that you look at and say, she's not going to have very many kids or she's going to have no kids, right? The way that God has told us to do it require faith because they don't work on their own. It's not a, uh, it's not a, a, a system mechanistic um, you, system yeah mechanistic system you can you can uh i mean you can raise a mob with a speech but you don't settle down a mob and get them to you know go out and and start families and have kids and uh, uh and rebuild the world um into eden <laughs> by with with the the same mechanism that causes mob rule <laughs> so, so you got me riled up i see that i was just gonna let you go i wonder i know you got some more you rubbing your hands together and all like jason gonna punch his old camera or something um i there's more i want to talk about with that. i think we can bring that up again but it just made me think about what you just said with the and campaign or not the and campaign but the um he gets us campaign yeah what is the rhetoric though what is the rhetoric we need to have towards this? I mean, I think that the rhetoric. So because they, you see what they're, they're doing, they're to, jamming you. They're jam, they're straight up jamming you. Right? They are. They're trying to take something that is our effective rhetoric, right? Right. The, the um the and and use it against us. Well, look at the look at the 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 lady who was at the abortion clinic who was um washing the feet. I don't even the whole washing the feet thing is a, I can break this whole thing down. There's a problem there anyway. But it's a right. great visual. But you know how many times people have been at the abortion clinic saying I will take your baby. Right. Give like that's not so they I'm like they aren't being genuine at all. So mm-hmm. but they are taking our rhetoric as if we're the loving ones. Yeah. But the, and the whole idea, uh, I mean, the f- feet washing has to do with the way a pastor um, interacts with his people, right? The way Jesus as a leader interacted with those that he was leading. It, it is a, it, it's talking about the kind of government that the church is supposed to run. Mm. It's not talking about, you know, um, how to how to love your neighbor on the street right there's now there is a lot of teaching about neighborliness that's the thing that that yeah uh, but what but what they're trying to do is co-opt the institutional church 
right and say that the inst- we that the institutional church is not nice because the um it literally has to do with the way that the uh church wears its authority towards its people right the way the church carries its authority they they are co-opting uh the language of our authority and saying you're mean to us with your authority and you need to start being you need to use your authority to start supporting us out here in the world in our sin and there's a lot of people that are like i don't get why this is bothering me but there's something wrong with it and they can't put their finger on it but it's because it really has to do with jesus passing the authority of the uh the authority of the body of christ as the head of of all things passing it to the church you know for the church i guess ruling all things for the church it says in colossians 1 um and that the church is established as the body of christ on earth it's established as a real government the body politic is the same it's the same he's purposefully the 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 new testament purposefully uses the political metaphor of a body and says but this is christ's body right the old testament people were called moses's body right you've got this uh body politic and when jesus sets up its first group of leaders he does so by washing their feet to show what how they're supposed to carry the authority that he is giving them as ecclesiastical leaders over the institution of the church and then this commercial comes and says i want the institutional church to come out here and support my sin. I need the institutional church to start being nice to me about my sin, right? To stop hating. Well, um, it, but one of the things that the, the church does is with its authority is create a community that hates murder, for example, right? Creates a community that hates murder, that helps, that hates self-destruction, that hates, and, um, and it, so that people have a place to flee when they are fleeing um, a murderous culture. They have a place to flee when they're fleeing a self-destructive culture. Right. So if you had, um, so this is something that things like teen challenge uh, when it's functioning well, um, and it, you know, it's when a church starts a teen, a teen challenge, which is uh, helps people get off of, drugs when it's functioning well it's a community that people can come into that hates drug use so that you have the support you need when you start because if your friends are like yeah heroin it's no it's it's, it is what it is it's no big deal um those they're not going to help you when you need to get out of the self-destruction of heroin use so you need a community that that hates self-destruction um, that hates murder. That hates uh, the all that that hates um, that those things. So that there's a community for people to flee a world that is embracing them, embracing self destruction. Right. So, um, but we have a commercial that is you know, that says we need you to use this authority, this foot washing authority that you have, um, this this the authority of a foot washer uh we need you to use that to come in here and tell us that we're okay or else we're going to call you hateful this is and and there's a lot of christians that they because they have actually been 
teaching and believing kind of that same thing. Like if we were nicer, um, the world would love us because they've been teaching and believing that they don't know this commercial is going to work on them. Um, but we, we believe that the authority of the, Oh, here's another thing. We believe that the authority of the church is in the pews because we're, we've been so thoroughly democratized. Right. So that's why, um, uh, that pastor is able to be affected by his quote unquote constituents. Um, because he thinks that it's his job to represent them and make them feel good and make sure the money keeps flowing and make sure people are there. And right. But it's not, he's supposed to represent Jesus to the people in the pews, right? Jesus is the head of the church and he is his ambassador. Jesus is the King. He's the ambassador of the King and he's supposed to deliver the King's message period. That's what he does. And trust that the King's message is powerful enough to transform this this place into what the king wants it to be because the message is delivered with the presence of the king and the holy spirit accompanying the message right and the holy spirit is the power that raised jesus from the dead and it's the power that we have been promised will be uh he he is the power that we have been promised will be present in the preached word right all all of this the authority of the church is not in the pews Right. The, the authority of the church is an ecclesiastical government that needs to, uh, that if there's people in the pews that are trying to manipulate it, uh, it needs to resist that manipulation uh, for the good of the people in the pews, right? We, it's not a, it, it's not a de- democratic institution. Um, and it, it, and the, uh, the, the few attempts that we have attempted, the few times that we've attempted to make it a democratic institution it has immediately, immediately gone liberal. Immediately. <laughs> uh, I, you know, one of my favorite theologians um, was a was a congregationalist, John Owen. Um, but I think it's a it's it has, but he was at the beginning of the congregational movement. It has shown itself to be a huge mistake. Uh, the you know we need to uh, recover a church government that as a real government in the world or, you know, we're going to just remain as useless as we have been. <laughs> so, man, you gave me a whole bunch there, but what did, so then, but back to the rhetoric on this. So then our response to this would be what? Our response is, uh, I mean, I, I think what we should start doing is saying, um, the, uh, foot washing is Jesus did wash people's feet. And he washed the feet of the leaders to show them how to lead because we build communities where foot washing is, uh, where foot washing makes sense. Right. And so if you're interested, you got to join the community. Here's the expectations of the community. You got to, so here's a good example. We had a guy, I I was talking to with a guy who was like, I want to get baptized. And I said, I don't, I said, let me explain Christianity to you. And it took a while. Um, and at the end of it, I said, uh, would you, are you willing to give up marijuana, um, to follow Jesus? And he was like, does Jesus expect me to? I said, Jesus expects you to give up everything, everything. 
to follow him. And he was like, I don't think I can. I said, well, then you shouldn't get baptized because to be a part of the community is to be a part of the people who give up everything to follow Jesus. And he was like, oh, I'm not ready for that. Right. That we need the, the expectations of the communal life. I mean, first, first we actually need to develop a communal life. We need the expectations of the communal life to be public, um, to be known. Uh, and we need the communal life to be centered uh, at the center. It's a sacramental community. It's guarded, at, guarded by the sacraments as a sacramental community. Uh, and then the, the word of God is the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke that guides the community. Um, it's the, and that is our rhetoric. I mean, the rhetoric is the community, the communal life. You know, it's funny. I think that, that, that answer was extremely, extremely unsatisfying. Um, and I think I know why is because um, our arguments um, are not based on a 60 second ad. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you say, it's a community where it's like, if somebody did something that was anti hip hop, we'd all know it right away. Like, yeah, that ain't it. Cause I know right. that culture. I know that, you know, that's not, it's not going to work. Or if it was like, um, you know, whatever, it, anything that we understand, this is a horrible way to say this, but we understand brands. If somebody came up to you and said, don't do it, Nike, you'd be like, that's not their brand. That's not them. And it's, and I think you're making the, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think you're making the argument that the church has neglected to be who it's supposed to be in such a public way that stuff like that can actually work. Right. That's right? exactly it. And that's what was, right. that's why your answer was so unsatisfying because I, I don't feel after I want something that represents us like they got that campaign be like, aha, when that thing that's supposed to represent us is us, how right. we function, how we move, how we get, how we get down there. Like that's us. Right. And this is why, knows. this is why. So, I mean, the, the, the whole Christian media industry right now is broken. And this is just evidence of evidence of the brokenness because they're the, um, the job of a Christian filmmaker or Christian Christian working in marketing or, you know, is not um, to make faith-based movies where everybody else makes non-faith-based movies. Every movie is faith-based. It's just a question of which faith, right? So their job is to be as good of a Christian as they can be and, and be as good at their craft as they can, as the craft flows out of them. They, uh, if they're working in marketing, they market uh, good things beautifully, right? That's this, their mm, Jason. This that's is what they do. This goes back to the show we did where we talked about the priesthood. This is right. This is mm-hmm. being a good priest. Yeah. That's what you're being job a good priest, is. right? So a filmmaker's job is to make it as good to tell as good of a story to to tell good stories as well as they can, right? Um, I've been listening to uh, Bach's Secular Cantatas uh, a, a lot recently, um, and you've got they're they're called secular cantatas because they weren't written for the church. You right? say Bach, so, Bach, yeah. The, the first Kanye, 
Uh, no, that's Vivaldi. Oh, Vivaldi oh, was okay. the Kanye I, I, of the Baroque period. <laughs> I have listened to, to, I've been listening to some of Vivaldi as well, but Vivaldi is, uh, you know, he, he's the guy that, that took a lot of the, a lot of church music, um, and, and hap because it was so good. And cause he was so good at it, he happily pushed it out into the secular world. And, um, he he loved the lord like he was an ordained minister who then just was like well i can actually serve god better in music um and then uh because that's really where my gifting is rather than preaching he was not a great preacher apparently but he was a, a fantastic violinist and a really great uh composer and so he uh, but he, but his music was so popular that he put the church music is, is sort of like ray charles ended up pushing the the church music out into uh the rest of the world although ray charles wasn't doing it as a christian he was doing it as a musician but um the uh and so but vivaldi also he discovered the edges of the instruments so he developed all the different instruments he developed the language of what was possible with the violin people didn't realize what was possible with the violin yet um in the same sort of way that uh, so every time he would put out a new thing everybody else said oh that's possible and they followed him along oh, and then Vivaldi yeah, would do the next a... thing right so kanye, kanye. Did, he does that you know yeah, everybody sleeping on the 808 and he's like yeah but have you have, have you ever noticed what the 808 can actually do you know and you get 808s and heartbreaks but bach he wrote the uh the secular cantatas um and it was these it's the it's basically i mean it's not it it's basically the invention of opera um so he takes the the musical language and he begins telling stories with it um in the secular sphere but for him it would be like um you know he got hired to write uh a the the uh uh, argument of the four winds you know stuff like that and it's and uh, because he's a christian he does it in a very christian way but it's a secular it's the it's the 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 gods of the the west wind the god of the calm winds the god of storms you know and they they come in and they're having an argument um the and it's because you know it, who's who's going to uh get to choose the weather for this day um, that was the birthday of of a guy, or not the birthday. It was his, it was his name day, which is what in the Middle Ages, some some people celebrated birthdays. Also, it wasn't like illegal to celebrate birthdays, but usually, what you would do is if you were named Matthew, then on Saint Matthew's Day, you would have a party in your and celebrate your name day rather than your birthday. So he was put together this story of the four winds and their. Um, and uh, kind of the fight between the four winds, who's going to choose the weather for the name day of this, this guy. Um, so, uh, but it's beautiful. The music is beautiful. It's a, a fully and completely secular story, um, but he does it in a deeply Christian way. Um, and that is the way that, uh, you know, the, that Christian filmmakers, I think should think is, what does it look like to tell these stories in a deeply Christian way? Not because I, but because, not because I'm trying to do make propaganda for the kingdom, but because I am the 
the brand ambassador. Right. My life is not, you know, what art, the art that I make is whatever. Right. But my life is, is the marketing. The church's life is the marketing. We don't have, we, the, the church doesn't hire a marketing specialist. The church, the church life is the marketing. And, um, but we have become secular, uh, materialists in our assumptions, right? We're atheists in our assumptions. And so we think, oh, well, marketing is the way you get your message out now. And so I am going, we better use this. We better use this marketing um, in a good way. Oh, we need to brand. We, we need to develop Jesus's brand better. Um, he, he, that's not, that's not the way we think because uh, you know, we don't think the way the world does about that thing because the, the, he's given us church life to do that already, right? Uh, it's not somebody else's job. And if you look at the way that they talked about doing it, they're like, we we need to show that Jesus isn't owned by the church and Jesus isn't owned by conservatives and Jesus, you know, that uh, and you think, what is what does that mean? I mean, other than we want to separate Jesus out from the church because the church is, I mean, the, the church is a failed brand ambassador, I guess you might say the church is a failed brand influencer. Um, but that's always been that way. It's never not been a failed brand ambassador. <laughs> that's part of the fact that it's a, a that the church is a, a, a barren woman who keeps having children anyway. Um, we've never been a good brand uh, ambassador. Um, we've always been this, you know, uh, yeah, GK Chesterton says the church has gone to the dogs five times and every time the dogs have died. Right. <laughs> so it's because of the Holy spirit that the church survives, not because we, you know, because we figured out the right way to do it. It's just, this is just, I mean, this happened in the nineties with the seeker sensitive movement where, where there was a, a study that went around that said the most important thing um, for church growth is having enough parking. And so all these churches built bigger parking lots to, uh, to, because they thought, Oh, if I, a bigger parking lot will mean that I grow. And so you have these churches that built enormously huge parking lots thinking, we're going to get this big, but cause uh, we just, we're dumb. Because we want to trust everything, but the spirit, everything, but the spirit. Yeah. It's, it's a good thing. Jesus died for us because yeah, my wife likes to say, yeah, the, the church is a whore, but she's our whore. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that word? You just did. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I needed uh, to hear. You just did. Man, you this this stuff makes me mad. Oh, I know. I'm yeah. It was really good though. I want um next week I want to talk about Black History Month and calendar. You think you want to talk about that mm -hmm. next week? Yeah, that sounds really good. Um because that's we're getting not just jammed there. We've been Should we invite Mar jamming. should we invite Marcus on that one? Yeah, that'd be good. That might be interesting. 
right. Oh, man, that was really good. We, we could have went another hour. I would try to cut them down to like an hour and a half. If we can get in yeah, at eight. I would like to get like from eight to nine. And then just let that be. I know people love that long form. I'm just trying to tighten up a little bit. Mainly because of me, my schedule, just trying to get it wrapped. Well, well that makes sense. I'm go. I'm. A, I'm going on another. That's. I was. I'm glad that I, we got to work 